0: Amanda Clute,
1: Daniel Janine. Woo! <laughs> wow. Do you know what today
0: is? I you do. You do. You do. It's uh, the it's best... Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's the best food stories of munch... Munch? March. Recording session right now.
1: Yay. Yay.
0: So, in this episode, which is our favorite episode to do... Should we
1: say welcome to the Eater Upsell?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, welcome to the Eater Upsell. Welcome to the
1: Eater Upsell, everybody. <laughs> Part
0: of the Vox Media Podcast Network.
1: Dan's really riffing here.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zing. Uh, Today, we are going to count down our favorite stories of March, the biggest, most impactful food stories. But we're not going to do it alone.
1: We are having some experts call in.
0: Not that we're not experts.
1: Some other experts. Some
0: other. Some more. More expertly people. Mm -hmm. Whitney Faloon is going to call in to tell us how Amazon is really mucking up Whole Foods. Greg Morvito is going to call in to talk to us about some big, big, big food shows. And your favorite,
1: my favorite, not
0: favorite person, favorite story.
1: One of my favorite people, people and stories. And stories.
0: Farley Elliott is going to call in from LA to tell us about a crazy media snafu. Yeah, media, uh, food, media. Food media. It's it's you a, you a, love it's
1: a, it's a shit show. You
0: love food media drama, right? I
1: do. I do. Do you <laughs> see what I called it in the doc? A uh, word that I. Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only Jewish word that I can use, I think, right?
0: Well, you can use all the Jewish words. What do really? you
1: mean? I, yeah. I feel weird c- using words that, I don't know, I feel like are not for me.
0: Yiddish. Yeah. Uh,
1: like, is it inappropriate? I'll think about it. Okay. Let me know if oh, I get Oh, it's great. It's like allowed. the one
0: thing I'm like a guardian of. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. If, In my presence, it's okay. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> when you're around, yeah. you give me the, uh, the green light. Yeah, yeah. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes or the other podcast platform of your choice, uh, and share it on Twitter, Facebook, maybe tell a friend or two.
0: Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, as many as you want. Uh, let's get into stories.
1: Yep. Up so, first,
0: Chipotle <laughs> abandons its burger concept, Tasty Made.
1: Tasty made, yeah, woof. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs>
1: bad name. First bad off. name. First off, bad name. You know there is a media group called Tastemade? made. There is, Tastemade. and then yeah. there's BuzzFeed's Tasty. Tasty. Yeah, and then it somehow reminds me of something like from the 1950s. I don't know. Well, they, uh, they didn't. They anyway. didn't do
0: anything to. They didn't try to set themselves apart in any way here. Like this, this.
1: I, bad think, name. I think it was supposed to be with the um, ingredients, right? Right. Originally,
0: sure. but this this thing is one of the. I mean, I, I don't know. It seems to me like one of the biggest flops in fast food history.
1: Oof. All of fast food history?
0: I think so. I don't
1: know. Bold statements have here it, on we, the outside. i to fact check that one, but it's not a good look. Okay.
0: Let me tell you why it's one of the biggest flops in, in, in fast food okay. history. First of all, everyone says it looks exactly like In-N-Out, mm-hmm. and it's just a basically uh, – it's just an In-N-Out knockoff. Let me tell you about this this scandal, the timeline of this scandal. Okay. 2016 <laughs> – you ready? <laughs> yeah.
1: You tell me about I'll it. I'll tell you about it. Okay, you want to tell me about it? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm ready to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> in
0: 2016, they opened with, uh, I guess they had you know, naturally raised beef and like some organic menu items, and people were all over Yelp and Twitter complaining about how expensive it was. So it flopped out the gate. Mm-hmm. Then, in one of the most cowardly fast food moves of all time, <laughs>
1: Again, your <laughs> the, hyperbole. <laughs> they
0: switched. They were like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll switch to conventionally raised beef. They abandoned their morals mm-hmm. to lower their prices. People still were not happy. And then, so they went from expensive to cheap, and then they brought in fancy media chef Richard Blaze.
1: <laughs> always a sign of desperation when you need to bring in the <laughs> Bravo TV chef.
0: Yeah, to, to try to retool the food in September of 2017. And now... Now it's being shut down, even with their uh, Richard Blaze makeover. Mm. No thoughts.
1: I think. I mean, I think it's embarrassing for them. I think Chipotle should probably just stick to what they do and Mm -hmm. do it better. Like focus on you know the all their other shitty stuff they have to figure out, like the (laughs) the, you know the foodborne illness Mm -hmm. crisis. I think bringing on the Taco Bell execs is probably not the worst idea. No. Because they're really good at marketing and turning a kind of boring brand into something that's exciting to Mm -hmm. young people. Catchy. Yeah. Yeah. But like maybe you don't have to do a burger thing. But on the other hand, like they tried a thing. Didn't work. Mm -hmm. Moving on.
0: Chipotle spokesman Chris Arnold said... Richard Blaze was never a Chipotle employee, but he has been a great partner in this venture, and his talents quickly elevated the quality of the food at Tasty made. The decision to close was in no way a reflection of Richard or his capabilities as a chef and restaurateur, and we would consider working with him again if there was a good opportunity to do so.
1: Do you think Richard has him like with a gun to his head <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somewhere? Right. It's like, write the statement!
0: <laughs> well, it just makes me, think, it makes me think, I didn't think Richard Blaze was at fault here, I just thought yeah. this thing was doomed. But now you do. But now I'm like... all right maybe richard (laughs) Richard, blaze put the nail in this coffin (laughs) up next whitney floon you report a lot on whole foods and whole foods amazon not going so hot do you want to give us a little rundown
2: yeah, so since the acquisition, um, a lot of things have been happening, you know, that you typically expect with these kinds of big mergers. Um, there's been a lot of quote unquote streamlining going on at Whole Foods. Um, a lot of Whole Foods executives have left the company. Uh, you know, depending on your perspective, I would say it's not all bad. Um, in a lot of cities, including here in Dallas where I live, you know, prime members can get two hour delivery now, which is like, pretty cool and prices on a lot of things have gone down Um, but the most glaring issue right now is the way that Whole Foods relationship with small food producers is changing so historically I would say one of the coolest things about Whole Foods has been the way that um, it gives each of its stores a lot of autonomy in terms of dealing with like small local food producers and what products it carries. Yeah. Um so each Whole Foods store has these staff members that they call like foragers that their sole job is to go out and find, you know, like artisan hot sauces and local jams and that kind of stuff and uh, and get them on their shelves. But since cool. the acquisition, um they are switching to a more centralized buying system like is used by you know your conventional national grocery stores. So instead of relying on these local staffers to find the best products and decide what they're gonna carry, they're basically going through their executives at their home office in Austin to pick out store inventory. So, uh, there's a lot less interfacing going on between these local makers and the stores. And basically, they're like, yeah, you're going to have to go through our home office. So, they're operating a lot more like a regular grocery store. And there's one particular instance that's been um kind of terrible and egregious, which is... There was this, or I should say there is, this uh, creamery in Atlanta that uh, makes, like, fresh mozzarella and yogurt. And they've been working with Whole Foods since, like, they started in 2009. And Whole Foods actually gave them, like, a huge loan. I think it was, like, $500,000 to expand its facilities so that they could supply, like, hundreds of Whole Foods stores with, uh, I think, non-GMO milk. So they took on all this debt to expand their facilities, hired all these people. And then after Amazon bought Whole Foods, Whole Foods was like, yeah, never mind, we're going to cancel this contract. So this creamery is literally going out of business and like laid off like 30 people. So it's pretty terrible. Aww.
0: Do you know what's happening to the foragers?
2: Um. As far as I know, uh, Whole Foods is saying that they are going to keep the foragers on. um, And they're saying that this new centralized buying system, they're claiming that it's actually going to um, free up its regional buyers and give them more time to find these local products. Um, And, you know, it's saying, hey, no, it's cool. We're totally going to continue to stock local products. But um, we're just going to have to wait and see how that plays out, I think. And, of course, like none of that is really – Comforting for this company that's going out of business.
0: Yeah, we lost a good one, Whole Foods.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much. It's funny that
0: this whole thing, though, that Whole Foods was this, was like kind of an evil figure before. And now Whole Foods is is like, is the
2: good guy guy that's ruining. (laughs) Right, like in the shadow of Amazon and Jeff Bezos, uh, Whole Foods suddenly looks like this tiny little local company.
1: All right. So, next next up, up. viral story. Huge story from yesterday about chef versus vegans. Mm hmm. Fed Which? up chef
0: breaks down deer leg in front of vegan protesters in my home city of Toronto. <laughs> what happened how here? Big,
1: how big are the vegans in Toronto?
0: Uh, the, the Like six foot one and above.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what happened here? Um,
0: Is that the, the worst joke? The sh- the, yeah, it's pretty
1: good. The chef at this restaurant... In Toronto, put it's a joke. His
0: hunter, by the way,
1: pretty good. He put a joke on the sandwich board outside the restaurant that said, "Venison is the new kale." Yeah, it got the attention of a vegan animal rights protester. He started organizing protests around the restaurant. The chef got so fed up that he decided to butcher a deer leg in the window in front of the protesters. Yeah, which I think is well within his rights and very amusing to me. <laughs> it's
0: hilarious. The the vegan protesters have been protesting outside this guy's restaurant for three months, <laughs> going so like going so far as to yell the "murderer" and stuff as he walked in and out of his kitchen. Yeah,
1: that's going too far. Like, give this guy a break.
0: You know, he's a he's a forager and he's like all into the whole animal movement. So he he cares a lot about animals. There are so many places that care a lot less that they could be protesting. That's
1: always the thing with this. I think that whenever they protest the foie gras here Mm -hmm. in New York and they're in front of, like, per se, (laughs) like, if you look at the grand scheme of things, Mm -hmm. I don't know, go to the factory farms in Pennsylvania or something. Like, really? You're going to spend your Saturday protesting (laughs) foie gras use? That's what this is. A
0: couple funny things about this story. Mm -hmm. Um, Hunter attempted to placate the crowd, by advertising vegan dishes on the sandwich board outside the restaurant. <laughs>
1: yeah, nice try.
0: <laughs> Terrible try. Uh, that, but the activist said, the goal is always for a restaurant to go fully vegan, not just advertise their uh, vegan options it's on so the sandwich board. So militant. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, here we go. Ugar, who is the who, who was leading the protest, uh, emailed... Hunter, offering to limit the protest to once a month if he would put a sign in Antler's window explaining that animals have rights and killing them is wrong. Hunter... Hunter countered with an offer to cook his vegan tasting menu for the protesters and bring them on a foraging Aww, trip.
1: That's nice though. He's trying.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, but they're just, just there's so much space in They to are offer. on different
1: ends of a spectrum yeah. right now. They they need to they're keep like, working on this negotiation.
0: Yeah, they're like, put a big sign in a window that says I'm a murder I'm Hitler. <laughs> I'm a murderer. And he's like, come on, like I'll, I'll make, I'll, you, I'll make vegan you some food.
1: food. Dan, what happened with open table and reserve this month?
0: I love this thing. This is crazy. Who doesn't? Yeah. So, employees gone rogue. So, earlier this month, Open Table announced that they fired a supposed rogue employee for a scheme that was meant to make reserve the other, uh, uh, an opposing application look terrible.
1: Right. So, the rogue employee made all these fake accounts, signed up for all these reserve reservations, and then no showed.
0: Yeah, so it's supposedly it, it affected 45 restaurants that use Reserve and OpenTable rival. Restaurants using Reserve had hundreds of no-shows over the past the course of the past three months. Um,
1: yeah, it's just a shitty thing to do. It's really shitty. Yeah. I believe that it's a rogue employee because it's such a bad look for OpenTable. table. Oh, it's but a Why would they look. ever have that be part of their like secret strategy?
0: So my big question though. Is like if you hate a restaurant, if if you're a restaurant and you hate another restaurant, like you know, are you are you booking a bunch of <laughs> seats and having them causing them you, a bunch of no shows?
1: You could, but you would have to create so many fake accounts, right? Yeah, it's a lot because of work. Because I'm sure this shows up as a ding on your open table account. Yeah, if it's yeah. Like Dan Janine, no showing all the time. They're gonna stop giving you reservations. I wouldn't
0: use my real name.
1: Yeah, you'd have a fake one.
0: I love. Okay, so the part of this story though is that the the engineers from Reserve. So, like supposedly found this information uh, in house, and they didn't even report it to the media. It was some of the some of the restaurant employees leaked it to the media, mm. but so I think that they they resolved it in house, open table and reserve. Uh, but I just love the idea of like all the reserve computer guys <laughs> sitting around being like being like what. Like, Are these all coming from Open Table? <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. What's the fallout? I think Open Table publicly apologized.
1: Yeah, fired that guy.
0: Fired that guy. Got like, rid of whoops.
1: him. Whoops. The reservation wars. They're real.
0: So real. Yeah, we're kind of making light of it, uh, but no shows can really screw up a restaurant's business. So, uh, PSA. Always cancel your reservations if you're not showing up, even if you're already late for them. Curtis Duffy. Stole $10,000 worth of truffles and Wagyu from his former restaurant,
1: You forgot the word allegedly. Allegedly stole. Journalist. Yeah. (laughs) Curtis Duffy, big deal chef in Chicago, one of the biggest young chefs maybe in Mm -hmm. America. He has three Michelin stars. He came up through Alinea. He had a documentary made about him. Uh, Grace was this huge deal when it opened, uh, and since he and his GM partner left in December, it's been nothing but drama.
0: Huge, hu- huge drama in the food world.
1: Yeah. Why did why did they quit?
0: They quit because they were unhappy with the percentage of profits that they were getting mm-hmm. at the restaurant.
1: And the day before they, quote unquote, quit, yeah. the money guy fired the GM yeah. for absenteeism. Right. And so then they walked out. They're suing him, saying that th- their non-compete is invalid, which I I don't know why they, right. how they could say yeah, that. Yeah, they're
0: not, according to their non compete, they're not allowed to work in Chicago for, for the, the next, next 18, 18 months. months.
1: Which is pretty standard. Yeah. I mean, it's shitty, but it's, you sign the thing, you know what you're getting into. And now the money guy is suing them, saying they stole a bunch of truffles <laughs> and wagyu and all kinds of fancy shit yeah. when they left. But, and, and he's saying that they used <laughs> Grace's inventory when they were doing private events right. unrelated to Grace. So they for would profit. like, order fancy ingredients through Grace and then use it at some whatever yeah. event.
0: Shaving truffles for dollars. Yeah. Um, this, I, I, you know, I've said it. This this story has almost cracked our food stories a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't quite make it until the truffle, alleged truffle. Yeah, ice. I
1: think the buildup just has been really good.
0: But, um, you know, what What do we always say here? Uh this this guy put his he named this his, his name his daughter's name is Grace.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've probably talked about this before. Like, don't don't, don't name your the money guy after something sometime, important yeah. to you unless right. you definitely own it.
0: Unless you definitely own it, don't name it after your daughter. Yeah, yeah. Unless
1: you can get over it, like maybe he's over it. Any he's a pretty worries. militant
0: guy. He's like he's, he's he's woke up this morning. I promise. if you've seen this documentary for Grace on Netflix, I saw, yeah. yeah, I guarantee he was up the next day at 4 a.m. in the gym. Being like, where's my next place? <laughs> uh, the money guy is opening another casual restaurant called Onward.
1: Which is very petty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We get it, bro. <laughs> next up, Open Table's second screw-up of the month. Alleged. Alleged. <laughs> uh, Some
1: people might like it.
0: Open Table announces Open Kitchen Program. Mm-hmm uh do you know what the open kitchen program is
1: yes i I believe the idea is you voluntarily agree to join this open kitchen program and you get a badge and you're saying like i'm against harassment
0: what do you think the badge is
1: i think it goes on your open table page or something maybe they give you a physical badge it's a a digital i guess it's a digital badge or you can uh
0: yeah no 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 you can request and they will send you their open table branded pledge sheet yeah as well what do you think of this
1: I think it's not great. Yeah. I see where they were coming from. Like I do believe the CEO of Open Table is is trying and she's a woman and dedicated to helping women and thinks this is their way of of helping.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I I don't think it's the best way to do it mm-hmm. because it's voluntary. You don't know. Like even the like restaurant groups that commit so thoroughly to weeding out harassers don't yeah, and so you're just. How can you feel like the restaurants that are using your badge are actually the right ones?
0: So a couple of things. Imagine if Open Table had their own version of the of the health inspector that just went in like unannounced, and yeah. <laughs> checked for harassment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it almost makes it seem it belittles how yeah. hard it is to root this stuff out. Yeah. Like, oh, just say I'm going to do better and put a sticker on your window, versus like completely changing restaurant culture.
0: I mean, yeah. For her, it must be so hard because she needs the platform to be successful. But yeah. it's just like, to me, this reads, it's great self-promotion and like asking people to download a pledge at, like that says Open Table and have it up it's in your so, restaurant.
1: Yeah, it's so empty. Yeah. And it, it. I don't think she meant it this way, but it can read like a big corporation trying to cash in <laughs> yeah. on the this like Me Too movement of supporting women.
0: And also, I don't even think it would be that much further or that much uh, greater of a step to just no longer display restaurants that had been... Um,
1: we say publicly incredibly accused of yeah. of bad behavior. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be a big business decision for them if they said we're taking off all Mario Batali restaurants and all Ken Friedman restaurants and all Paul Key restaurants or whatever their line is yeah, for John who they Bash. include and yeah. don't include. And like we've taken a lot of criticism for taking that position. So I can't imagine what their shareholders would think of that mm-hmm. um so it would be a bold move i don't think it would be as easy as you think
0: oh i don't think i don't know how easy it would be it just
1: but it would be to, a, it would be a stronger step and a stronger statement yeah of rather how, than how give, they believe in this
0: rather than giving a, uh, a what's it called in when you self-grade the self-evaluation badge
1: yeah like <laughs> oh we're good just, Nothing if, to see here. We're like great.
0: Drunk ass chefs like four in the morning. Be like, oh yeah, sign us up for that badge. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I think it, you have to hold people to something. There has to mm-hmm. be some accountability for it.
0: Anyway, passing on this, but uh, I guess you've changed my opinion a little bit. I was very cynical, but it's like maybe maybe it was intended as a good as a good thing.
1: And I mean, maybe I'm giving her too much credit and the company too much credit, but I yeah. I think they. Maybe I just have gotten too many angry emails from their PR team about an op-ed we wrote about it. But I think they were trying to come from the right place, but I don't think it was the right move, personally.
0: Just seems wild to me that you can still, that they have this program and I could still go on right now and get a reservation at, at Babo.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, people have different minds about it. Some people say, like, let's support the women who work at Babo. Yeah. Who cares if I'm giving money to Mario Vitale still? Like, I want to support the women at Babo. I don't think that way, but some people do. Instead of an ad this week, we are going to give a little shout-out to a beloved charity, Wellness in the Schools. Wellness in the Schools fights childhood obesity across the nation by bringing food education into public schools. And they are having a giant gala event in New York City on April 17th, and we think you should all go.
0: Yeah, what better way... To support a charity is they're then walking around and trying food from some of New York's best chefs.
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, sometimes, I mean, if you want to, if you don't live in New York, I recommend you just go to their website and donate money. But if you do happen to live here and you can enjoy this fun night out, give them money, but also get some good bites. There will be some big food celebs there as well. You can probably, if you're brave enough, go up and say hello to Bobby Flay, Gail Simmons, uh, Allison Roman, Eater podcast fan favorite. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And I think she's making her fan favorite cookies. Is she? I don't know, but...
1: We have to fact check that, but she probably is. But if she's not, you can
0: get mad at us and not her.
1: Great. But either way, (laughs) you could shake her hand and thank her for the wonderful recipe that she gave America.
0: So if you want to check out tickets to the gala or just maybe donate some money, it is wellnessintheschools.org.
1: Next up, we want to invite our pop culture editor, Greg Morabito, back on the show. Hi, Greg.
3: Hey, Amanda. Hey, Dan. How's it going?
1: Going pretty well. Uh, I think there's a lot of food TV stuff to talk about this month, uh, starting with Nailed It.
3: Yeah, Nailed It was like the big surprise for March for me. Um, It's this new Netflix show. It's a cooking competition, but I think it's actually a little bit more like a game show. The conceit is these amateur bakers have to try and recreate these amazing, elaborate sort of Instagram-worthy pastries in a limited amount of time, and um, for the most part, they kind of screw up, and sometimes they come close, but um, I think the real appeal of the show is that it's very enthusiastic, and even when people totally mess up, uh, the host, Nicole Bayer and the judge, Jacques Therese, they're very positive about it. They, they, they say, you know, oh, well, you, at least you did this thing, right? And isn't it fun we all had a good time you know so i guess i just like there's so many cooking competition shows out there where the judges and stuff are so mean or they, they just like a over these little tiny things to kind of create drama so i just think it's nice that this seems to be such a positive and fun show and it, i think it actually makes you want to try some crazy baking too
1: yeah love that show um, what else you want to tell us about Chef's Table Pastry, which isn't out yet, but caused a little bit of Twitter
4: furor? Yeah, this I'd, month? Say,
3: I'd say not just a little bit. I mean, uh, you wrote a great uh, piece about it in your newsletter recently, Amanda. Um, Chef's Table Pastry, you know, Chef's Table is that high gloss uh, show on Netflix that a lot of people really love, but traditionally they have not been so great about representing. The great women chefs of the world on the show, and uh, for this pastry-themed episode, they chose three men and maybe the most famous, you know, female pastry chef in the world, Christina Tosi, uh, as the cast members or the people they're going to focus on. So, rightfully so, a lot of people were very upset about this on uh, on Twitter, and I don't think there is a they ha- even had a good explanation for this.
1: They didn't seem to have a good response. Um, the producer who was responding on Twitter. Uh, what did he say? He said well someone was tweeting like oh I talked to the producers and and they said that what did he say oh that women didn't have compelling stories. And then the producer got in the thread and was like no that's not exactly it it was more that the media doesn't cover pastry chefs enough and so we had a harder time finding these people in general to which everyone else said like this is your fucking job. Mm-hmm. Like you're right. a producer, go find stories. And like to my my point was there's so many people you could ask. Like if you ask any person in food or media, you. Yeah. ask me, but like ask anybody and like, give me, Oh, you know what? It's, it might be weird if we only have, you know, if one woman on this, considering that women dominate the world of pastry, can you recommend someone? And then just try extra hard to, to do it.
3: Yeah. In the past when they have had women as the subject of chef table, those have been traditionally like just the best episodes, I think as well. like, The Nancy Silverton episode from the last season Hers was so good Yeah, it was like we voted it like our best like Her TV chef of the year Because that was such an uh, Exciting and interesting You know, like portrait of a real Important American chef You know, so it's just a huge I think it's a huge blunder And it's a huge missed opportunity My guess is that they gotta be Reading all this feedback And uh, hopefully Digesting it and making some changes future I seasons. hope so. That would be my hope, you know?
1: What else? Isn't there a new Andrew Zimmern show?
3: Yeah. Yeah, there is a new Andrew Zimmern show. So he's, you know, he's like on TV a lot. Like if you look at the Travel Channel, they just have seven-hour blocks of uh, Bizarre Foods or it's, it's new iteration, Bizarre Foods, Delicious Destinations, I think it's called, you know, where he's <laughs> going around and eating bugs and you know, water buffalo testicles and stuff like that. And he's very good at that. But if you've ever read anything this guy's written or heard him like, you know, on the podcast like the Eater Upsell, you know that he's a really savvy diner and travels a lot and kinda of goes to just the best restaurants. So this new show, the Zimmerin List, is like his half hour guide to his favorite food cities. And it's like he recommends and goes to and talks to the chef at like five or six restaurants in each episode. So it's not like his picks are super surprising. And if you read Eater, you know, the Eater City sites for these cities, like the restaurants will be pretty familiar. But what I like about it is that he's very good at, you know, demystifying the appeal of these restaurants. And I think for the most part he's choosing really – a really cool array of restaurants in every city.
0: Have you seen him getting any uh, crap on Twitter, being like, stick to balls and bugs, dude?
3: (laughs) I haven't. That's a good question, Now
1: I can't imagine anyone ever (laughs) tweets anything mean to Andrew Zimmern. He's, like, so (laughs) beloved.
3: It's weird, because I think the show is like, like, like when I saw the first two episodes, I was like, okay, I hope this is a hit, and then he kind of just gets to do this for the rest of his career, because I prefer it to Bizarre Foods. Um, but then, just like last week, the Travel Channel announced that they just ordered up fifty more episodes of bizarre Foods. So it's like <laughs> he's never gonna until he dies. He will be yeah. doing this show. He's like never gonna. He's never gonna be able to let go of it.
1: I also want to give a shout out to the new Pixar short that you wrote about the other day.
3: Oh yeah, called Can't Bow, for that.
1: which is going to run before uh, what is it? The Incredibles.
3: Yeah, Incredibles two. Mm hmm.
1: And in your, in your post, you write that it's an eight-minute short that will focus on an empty-nesting Chinese mom who makes a dumpling baby that comes to life and teaches her that nothing stays cute and small forever.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds so <laughs> weird
1: to me. I know. And I can't wait to see it.
3: Well, it just sounds like something that people are going to really obsess over because it's kind of like, you know, the cross laser beams of Pixar, people love Pixar, and then and dumplings, and everyone loves dumplings, but they haven't even released um, any photos or footage or anything yet, so... I'm, of
0: the dumpling baby?
3: <laughs> no, nothing. And I Didn't guess it's kind of interesting because the director, the writer or director, has been slowly working her way through the ranks of Pixar. She started as, like, an intern and then did story stuff on all these things, and now, like, they finally like greenlit one of her original ideas. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> right.
1: Well, everybody be ready to check that out when the film comes out.
3: Yeah.
1: We'll talk to you next month. Thanks, yeah. Greg.
3: Thanks, Greg. Talk to you guys later.
1: So we've brought on Farley Elliott, one of our Eater LA editors, to explain this drama that's happening out in LA. It involves a food publication or a a media publication and a big event. So Farley, can you tell us about the Essentials event and also the list?
4: Yes. So first, it it might require a little bit of backstory. Late last year, uh, Los Angeles uh, LA Weekly publication, their big alt-weekly, one of the biggest in the country, got taken over by some new owners who are from Orange County, and, and they have been really sort of uh, unforthcoming with a lot of information about who they are and what they actually want to do with the paper, and so there's been a pretty big boycott effort on to get a lot of their events canceled and really decrease their publication in an effort to try to get them to sell to somebody who I think a lot of the city feels might be a better fit. And so they've already gotten a food can- a food event called Sips and Sweets canceled, and then they came for the Essentials event. Now, last year a few years ago, when Jonathan Gold, Besher Rodell, people like that were there. The Essentials was one of the biggest food events in the city and it drew in all of these restaurants that were a part of the 99 Essential LA Weekly list that they would put out every single year. But this year, the boycott effort was so effective that they got almost every single restaurant to stay away. And the result is that they actually had to cancel the food event in a matter of days before it was supposed to take place. And actually just one day, after that big list of theirs dropped and had its own curious inclusion.
1: So tell us about what was weird about the list,
4: too. So, yeah, what you saw was a lot of really great restaurants, some new, some old, that got completely left off. Um, Major Domo, obviously, um, is new, but didn't get a mention at all. Maybe the most curious exclusion was Anaka, inarguably one of the city's most prominent restaurants. It had actually been named by former LA Weekly critic Besha Rodell as her number one restaurant in the entire city, and it wasn't put on the new 99 list at all. And on the the other side, there were a few restaurants, a local neighborhood coffee shop, a a restaurant called Hawk and Hoof that literally hasn't even opened yet. It won't open for another month. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's wild. And I tried to reach out to the food editor and, and ask her, you know, why would you include a restaurant on an essential list when it's literally not open yet? And she says, oh, you know, I've had the food and I really stand by it and I think it's going to be great. But you know, there's a little bit of, of kind of double dealing going on here because what we found was a lot of restaurants who decided to not participate in the food event this year had their names actually taken off of the essentials list and hock and hoof was one of those restaurants that was scheduled to participate and thus they're on the list even though they're not an operating business yet
1: Wow. So definitely um, a kind of trade happening there.
4: It certainly seems that way. You know, we've heard from even more restaurants that had previously been on the list for years that suddenly got taken off after getting notifications from the LA weekly staff, the new staff asking if they would participate in the in-person event. And when they declined, it kind of all disappeared. So, um, you know, it's gotten a lot of blowback and, and they're staying pretty silent on their side, which I think is a mistake. You know, the city's trying to learn more about them and they're not really offering up any real examples of, goodwill but it is what it is it's just so crazy to have it happen in a media market as large as Los Angeles
0: what did what did they say about canceling the event
4: You know, they went back and forth. We had gotten our hands through some deep digging on some internal emails that they had been sending around regarding um, a change to the event and they were going to slim it down and maybe make it a more influencer focused kind of thing. And, you know, they wouldn't even admit to me that those emails existed even though I had them sitting (laughs) in my inbox. And so when it came, yeah, when it came time to actually cancel the event, they were pretty tight lit (laughs) and didn't want to say anything about it. Uh, I just happened to have been tracking it uh, over the course of days and weeks and went to check out the Ticketfly page to see if they were still selling tickets and Ticketfly had listed it as canceled. And then we were able to further confirm with the event space themselves. They had moved on from the property.
0: There's something really funny and embarrassing about canceling a food event.
4: Especially
1: <laughs> so, clo- so close to it. Yeah, yeah. and, 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 and The other you know, day before.
4: You know, they they eventually kind of turned their lawyers over to me to, to talk about some things that they wanted retracted and corrected. And one of the things that they said that they would like removed is this idea that their FAQ page said that they wouldn't be offering refunds for the event. And I said, well, I'm not taking it down because it's literally still listed on the splash page for the event that you won't be issuing refunds. <laughs> Apparently they did only uh, uh-huh. Ultimately do that but it's there's just not a lot of uh one hand successfully washing the other over there right now unfortunately
0: so uh, is this an amanda Clute? is this an all-time food media mess
1: it is i would say it's an all-time food media mess it's a it's a, a classic, classic it is, boondoggle uh, it is it is especially because this is the second time this has happened to them <laughs> in the past six months
4: yeah yeah and, and listen you know la is the home of LA Weekly weird food cancellations. We've also got Vespertine. David Chang's out here now. There's nothing we can't do (laughs) as a city.
1: Well, thank you for reporting on this so tirelessly, Farley. (laughs)
4: Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the best food stories of March. We will have another similar episode at the end of April. Uh, Can't wait. Yay. Thanks to Whitney, Farley, and Greg for calling in and offering their expertise.
0: If you want to hear more from them, we will have links to uh, their various newsletters and Twitter bios, and Twitter handles and articles in the description. And yeah, next week we'll be back with something else.
1: Yeah, we'll have to figure that out.
0: <laughs> the Upsell is recorded in the Vox Media Studios in New York, New York. The show is hosted by Amanda Klute, who's standing right there. Hi there. And me, Daniel Janine. We receive tons of support from Carrie Clements, who runs all of our booking and the logistics that help the show come together. Uh, Miles Ewell is our engineer, and Maureen Giannone Fitzgerald is our exec producer. Peace. Peace.